to BMI Redefined with Jin and Mo. Let's do this. Oh yeah, let's do this. So Jin, hello. Hey Mo. I'm telling you, this technology stuff, are we ever going to get it together? <laughs> we have literally been sitting here since 11 o'clock trying to figure out garage band. It's been an adventure. <laughs> yeah, you've been a lot of help. <laughs> Actually, everybody needs to know that Mo is the tech person. I just sit here and cheerlead. I'll say, so I think your input one and two. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just agree because I really right. don't know. Right. <laughs> oh, that's okay. We'll get it figured out. But that's the beauty of doing this podcast together. Mm-hmm. Yes, together. Yay. So um, we talked about my story, most of it, the first podcast, and we talked to John about his story, John Wright, about BMI, redefined, and how BMI played a role in his life, and how BMI has played a role in my life. And I think what we would like to know now and delve into is how BMI has played a role in your life. And how BMI redefined how you've redefined it in your life through your trauma that you've had. So if you could share a little bit about your story, we'd really like to hear it. Oh, well, I'd like to talk about BMI from a body-mind image perspective. So back in the year of 2000, um, we were living in Lynchburg. It was really exciting. I was working as a professor. Michael's working as an actuary. We had new baby twins. And after we lived there for, I guess, about a year, we had transferred to Richmond, Virginia with my husband's job. And we just had, we put the house on the market, um, had a couple of days to drive the babies down to visit the grandparents in the southeast. My husband stayed in Richmond to start his new job. So we drove down, we had so much fun with little 13-month-old twins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins and all that, and we had a good visit. And then we started the trek back to Virginia because I was supposed to be going back to Lynchburg to pack up, and then we're going to drive over to Richmond for Father's Day weekend and go house hunting. And so we were driving along right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. There was a driver, this lady, going the wrong direction on the interstate, She was driving the wrong direction on my side of the interstate. I come to find out later when I talked to the sheriff that she had actually been outrunning the police for about 25 miles. Mm -hmm. And they had been setting up roadblocks and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get out of her way, but she swerved right into me. I tried to swerve out of the way, and she she hit us head on. Um, Like I said, I learned later that she was trying to end her life that night. She -hmm. thought bad men were after her. She didn't know what she was doing. She really didn't. So she was mentally ill. From what I was told, she quit taking whatever medication she takes normally that morning, and she really didn't know where she was. Mm -hmm. So I I learned later also that she had a surgery or two, and and she survived, and then they put her into treatment to try to figure out what was going on and to to try to figure out from a mindset where she needed to be. So on the other side, the air ambulance came and retrieved me after the paramedics took an hour and a half to extract me from what was left of my car. 
And so they loaded me and the babies in the air ambulance and flew us to UT Knoxville Medical Center. And the babies were fine. Um, my husband had taken the time to properly install the car seats. So through his efforts and the grace of God, they were fine. I, on the other hand, uh, was not expected to live or ever walk again or ever regain the use of my left arm again. So I landed there in trauma ICU at UT Knoxville Medical Center. And apparently, from what I heard, the doctors and surgeons there had been on call for oh, about 20 hours at that point. And then I show up. And so, yeah, yay. <laughs> I know they were happy about that. So they start the emergency surgery, still thinking she's not going to make it. When they got in touch with my husband, they said, she's not going to make it. You need to get here right away. So he, he flies from Richmond down to Knoxville. They go ahead and start the surgeries. Uh, just to talk about the injuries a little bit, um, I try to go from <laughs> head to toe, if you will. Uh, not to be cliche, but they had a head injury. But I will let you know and the listeners that according to the people that knew me before and after the accident, I still have the same goofy personality that I always had. I'm overly optimistic and all that good stuff, which I know you love. (laughs) Especially when we're working out. (laughs) You got this, Mo. Yeah, I got this. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So anyway, the head injury... And then let's see, the my yeah my left arm was completely shattered, mm-hmm. and then internal bleeding, and then my, both of my hips were shattered, and my pelvis was crushed, and my left leg was crushed, including my foot I was injured from ligaments and tendons and all that. So three limbs out of four were badly injured, in the hospital at UT Knoxville Medical Center, the doctors decided that maybe it would be time for me to go to a rehab facility. So I was still non-weight-bearing, but I could I could see my legs, Mo, and I could see my left arm, but I did not know how to tell them to move. Like, I didn't know how to bend and straighten and make my legs walk and all that. So they said, well, let's put her in a rehab facility for orthopedics to see if she can get some mobility back. So the first place we called was in Knoxville, because that's where we were at the time. And their rehab facility would not take me because I had three non-functioning limbs. Mm. If I only had two, then that would have worked. So anyway, uh, we thought, well, Lynchburg, no, the house was on the market. We were leaving that beautiful community, but we really thought we should shoot for Richmond because that's where we're going to be living with, with Michael's job. And so he contacted Sheltering Arms Rehab Hospital in Richmond, and they said, just fly her up here and we'll see what we can do. So they loaded me in an air ambulance and they flew me up there. And that is actually, I was inpatient, outpatient, six years of the rest of the surgeries and all that. But in the beginning of that time, I ultimately started working with an occupational therapist and a physical therapist. And to try to regain the use of my left arm, they had me shuffling cards or trying to shuffle cards and picking up Cheerios. Was this one of your first times doing therapy? Like really intense therapy? Yes, really intense therapy because they decided at the UT Knoxville Medical Center, that's where they kind of started rebuilding me. But then I needed to go to an orthopedic rehab facility to actually begin the physical therapy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that was intense Um, every day. And I, I, I couldn't pick up my babies. I mean, I couldn't even pick up a Cheerio. So that was hard. That, that was a hard time. Yeah. So 
what they also used on my arm and my legs is called a continual process movement machine because they needed to keep the, to try to make the joints function some so they wouldn't just totally freeze. Mm -hmm. And so they would do that. And that was excruciating when you're having a machine move your limbs for you and you don't have any control over it. So, but they needed to keep them as mobile as they could until my, as my PT said, to get my brain talking to my limbs again so that we could all move together. Right, right. Then there came the day when I was told that I could try to stand up if I wanted to, that my pelvis and hips and legs were healed enough that I could become what they call weight-bearing. Mm. So I remember that day. It was a very scary moment. Um, mm. The first thought that ran, ran through my mind was, maybe the doctors are right. Maybe mm. I will never walk again. Yeah. Maybe I won't ever use my left arm again. And you never know this until you've actually hit that foot to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I didn't even know if it was possible for me to even learn to walk again. So other side of the story. So we had gotten a wheelchair accessible apartment at that point. We hadn't even gone house hunting because we need to get no, me back moving yeah, yet. So, right. so we found a place there. And in the living room there, Mo, those little babies were pulling up on the sofa and cruising around. And I tell my PT, I said, we need to get me walking again because these little guys are going to go in two different directions and I need to be there. (laughs) I need to be there for them. And so we all worked on learning to walk again. And I can tell you that those baby twins were truly my incentive for learning to walk again, <laughs> to get up and try. And it, it was, you know, it was a, it was intense experience learning again because I could not remember how to walk. Like I would interview people walking across the floor and I say, did you put your heel first or your toe first? Cause I really didn't know. So I worked well, on that. That's where that exercise came in. <laughs> The farmer's walk. Exactly. <laughs> right. The heel toe, heel toe. Heel toe. Exactly. <laughs> Not to diminish the story at all, but um, yes. But watching your children learn how to walk, were you more involved in that process? Or were you more like, wow, look at them learn how? Yeah. You know, yeah. You were doing the same thing. Yeah, you, you can imagine what's going through their mind on trying to figure it out that's similar to what I suspect was going through my mind. Mm-hmm. And so we all learned to walk the same month. I came in third. <laughs> but moving forward in more ways than one, I was inpatient and outpatient at the orthopedic rehab hospital there in Richmond. And they performed, my, my orthopedic surgeons performed the next uh, six surgeries. So end ended up being a total of 12 after that six-year recovery. But really, their goal, and they achieved it, was to literally rebuild me mm-hmm. with metal plates and screws and pins and joints. You're like the bionic woman. Uh, yeah, me and Jamie Summers. <laughs> so I could say, really, you know, we we're talking about BMI redefined, but... After the surgeries and all that, you set off the metal detectors in every airport, governmental buildings, the Smithsonian Institute, most theme parks. <laughs> As you know, you have a metal hip too. I know. And whenever I go to the airport, that's when it goes off usually. And I'm always the last one because Andy always goes through mm-hmm. with the kids first. Same here. And they're all waiting. And they're like, <laughs> have you, has it gone off yet, Mom? Have you told them yet? You have a 
prosthetic hip. I don't, you know, and I'm like, no, I haven't told him yet, but I'm sure they know now <laughs> because you're yelling it across the room. Yes. Can you please? <laughs> oh yeah. The whole family knows the drill. They, right. they go ahead, they go through security, all that, and then they wait for me. So, <laughs> so we have the same experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, just thinking about it, you know, different experiences mm-hmm. bring about um, change. Change. Right? Yeah, I yeah. like that. Yes. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good because it's that's what it is, right? Right. And that's and what you, brought us together, but ex- we could talk about that later. Yeah, but I mean it yeah. just brings about yeah. new people that enter your path of your mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and you know, new I want to call them adventures. Um, because mm-hmm. Milo Arnold said those who dwell on the past remember the obstacles but people who think about the future and what this is bringing see it as an adventure right and that was a paraphrase of that quote but you know that's the way I try to think about life and one thing that my father-in-law helped me with and we mentioned this on the last podcast is not dwelling on what happens to you but figuring out what can you do with it Mm -hmm. you know how can you make a difference in somebody else's life in your own life Mm-hmm. by just trying to use those experiences. And so that's where I'm coming into like the BMI redefined idea, mm-hmm. how body, mind, image, as you and I have talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and we have this thing in our lives, I think, where we sometimes get stuck in the bad and stuck in the old. Mm-hmm. And if we just move forward, we can really find a lot of comfort in that. That's true. That's true. And continuing to work through these experiences and finding new avenues, you know, new opportunities, new ideas. As you know, you live in when I say, I have an idea. I have an idea. (laughs) But we also have to remember that we're both teachers. True. And so even though we're not in a traditional classroom, we'll always be teachers. That's true. That's true. And... And it was fun because I got the opportunity to do some teaching and to do some motivational speaking and all that after this experience. Mm -hmm. And then during the next couple of years also, not along the teaching line, but another part of my life, we were able to have another little baby girl. So that was sweet in 2003. And, you know, that was really a miracle after everything that that we had, had gone through at that point. And then fast forwarding into today, I'm now a certified personal trainer, and I'm here with you. Yeah. You know, I, there is one thing I wanted to say, though, that it's important, too, to let people know that if you have had a THR, which is total hip replacement, it is possible to have children. Yes. Right? Yes. And it is, so don't let that deter you. That's right. <laughs> because yeah, it is absolutely, absolutely possible to make that happen. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to go into that. No, we won't go into the details. <laughs> <laughs> not on this podcast. Not on this podcast anyway. Right? <laughs> Leave it to me. I know. Right? <laughs> but anyway, but I think that's a good, that's a good thing to, you know, share with our podcast listeners, our friends. Yes. So. But this, you know, these experiences that we've had that are, are, similar yet different in our lives mm-hmm. have brought us together as in right. some of their our listeners have even asked me so how do you and mo know each other and right we talk about how 
the training idea really brought us together. It did. It did. And um, how our own paths, different, way different paths, brought us together. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll talk about that Yeah, another podcast. Yes, we will. Another topic for another day. <laughs> so, um, so your experience and your, uh, I, there, there's something that I just have to say. I've seen an actual picture of the car because I want to go back to that for mm-hmm. a minute, if you don't mind. No, no, go ahead. And looking at that picture and looking at that crash, I cannot believe anybody survived that crash. I just can't believe it. It's, it's really quite, quite amazing because it was, yeah. And, and for your twins to only come out with a couple of scratches, mm-hmm. um, you know, you really saved their lives that day. You did. Michael, my <laughs> husband was the one that properly installed their car seats the night before we left on the trip. Yeah. And he took the time to do that. And I learned after that point, because in the newspaper article about the accident, Mo, mm-hmm. it said numerous times that the Frings car seats were installed properly, you know, mm-hmm. making wow. a point that that makes a huge difference because like 95% of the time car seats are not installed properly. And I ended up working with somebody oh, for about a dozen years or so to help with car seat safety events. Mm-hmm. And teaching parents and grandparents how to properly install their children's car seats because it absolutely makes a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, just making sure that it's in there tight. And if you have any questions at all, going to to speak with your fire department, you know, professionals or hospitals, police departments, find somebody that can help you learn how to install it properly. Right. Do you remember what your husband's reaction was when you woke up waking up in the hospital after just thinking you were in the car it was mm-hmm. a mother's worst nightmare and I didn't even know I'd been in a coma for seven days at that point mm-hmm. and so I just remember Michael telling me that he had been holding my hand while I was in the coma mm-hmm. and he said even though they said that she's not going to wake up but if by some miracle she does she'll be in a vegetative state he did not believe them he mm-hmm. said that he held my hand and knew I was in there somewhere. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's yeah. interesting to hear him tell this story as well, because we met it with some friends of ours that we knew back when we lived in um, Memphis, and they mm-hmm. live in Virginia now. And so we were talking with them, and at, at dinner one night, Mo, they told me basically to shut up. And they said, <laughs> Jenny, you've told us. Now, Michael, we want to hear the story from your perspective. Yeah. I cried. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Bo. Yeah. He went through so much just trying to mm-hmm. take care of me. Right. And did a beautiful job. And he also had two babies to take exactly. care of. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So he's like, oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, but he went to bat for you, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In many, many ways. Yeah. And you, you also said, I loved what you said. It's like when he went, when he was in the hospital. It's kind of like he went into business mode. Like mm-hmm. you have to take care of this and this mm-hmm. and this and make sure that she's taken care of this way and exactly. da da da. So and it's I know- good to have someone on your side like that. And he never mm-hmm. let me wake up in a hospital room by myself. Yeah. There was always a friend or a family member mm-hmm. or himself or somebody in there. That I he never. Arranged. Yeah. yeah, he arranged that. Yeah. Which was very comforting. That is. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it can be a scary experience. It, it was. was. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so going back to body, mind, and image, how has this experience shaped those three words for you? Well, you always ask the hard questions. <laughs> I know. I should have. I should have asked you that before the planet, but this is part of why this it's is so fun. fun. Spontaneous. That's right. That's a pretty good question. It's the only good question I've asked a, so far. No, you've okay. asked a bunch of good questions. So really from, yeah. well, let's just take it from each part. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from body. a body part, mine is totally different from the way it was, mm-hmm. although I still water ski and stuff like that. My surgeon didn't want me to, but then he finally agreed. And anyway, that's past mm-hmm. history. So, but you know, things we can still do, but it's different. So like, for example, modified, modified. I was, you stole my word. So, so when we're in the gym or when we're working out together, how many times do you and I talk about modifications? Mm-hmm. Because joints move differently than they did. So moving into the mindset is how do we get into people's heads and what's in our own, from our own experiences, to help encourage somebody else reach their goals. Right. Right. So in the image part, I mean, there's the, the physical side and the emotional and the mental side. And I will tell you right now that my eyes still gravitate toward the scars when I look in the mirror. I mean, 12 surgeries... I have a few scars, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that's okay. I mean, and you asked me a question about this one time. Do you remember what that question was? Yes. Do you remember it, what this question, do you remember? Go ahead. Okay. So talking about image, like physical, emotional, mental, you know, from a physical side, Mo, what my eyes still really gravitate toward when I look in the mirror, as we've talked about how we look in the mirror when mm-hmm. we're working on our body images and, and mm-hmm. what, working out and training and all that, mm-hmm. my eyes still gravitate toward the scars. Because, I mean, I had 12 surgeries. Mm-hmm. There are a few scars. But that's, and, and that's your perception of yourself. So what is Michael's perception of you? His perception is that he says he doesn't notice them. Hmm. He tells me I'm beautiful. Hmm. And even the other morning, he, he was making coffee, and he said that <laughs> very thing. And I guess I look skeptical. Right. And he right away said, well, I have a different perception than you do of yourself. Our yeah. perspectives are different. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's very, very important that we keep that in mind. So we've had a nice coffee talk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, this has been a really wonderful conversation about your story, Jen. And I I hope that, you know, others can listen to this and maybe not completely identify with it because it was such a trauma in the beginning. But, you know, I'm sure there will be other points of the story that people can touch upon. Well, I hope there's just some little nuggets or ideas here that will help people work through their challenges or processes or something like that mm-hmm. with having, you know, a, a certain mindset, a certain mm-hmm. idea in mind on how to work through some, some challenges. So it's been special being special. with you, <laughs> so being with here with you. And now we're in Mo's house today. Awesome. Yeah. And this I, is the first time I know it? it's I so know. cool. And I think I saw a coffee pot in your kitchen. Uh, Just one, maybe two. (laughs) 
And maybe a French press. <laughs> and maybe... Okay, yes, you did. You want a cup of coffee? Absolutely, girlfriend. Okay, let's go have one, because I need another one. <laughs> we can all tell. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So it's been fun. It's been great. Thank you for coming, and we hope to see you all next time. This has been BMI Redefined with Jen and Mo. See ya. Ciao.